Revelations 13 is um, quite a chapter. Last week we covered verses 1 through 10. If you were here and you remember if you weren't here, we talked about the first beast that the Bible talks about. There's two beasts. We'll see that tonight in our text. The first is the Antichrist, the incarnation of the devil himself. This beast is simply the visible expression of the devil. And we found that out in verses 1 through 10 of 13, the beast of the sea. Tonight is the beast of the earth. And uh, the very name uh, United Nations represents a dream. It's been said that many men over many decades have dreamed of a unified world where all nations and people would become as one, sadly. Unfortunately, the United Nations has turned that dream into an absolute nightmare. And we should be reminded that this world, this world is headed, but don't get excited, because it is headed for oneness and unity, but not in the Lord. Um, forces are in motion that are paving the way for a one world government under one political ruler and one world church under one religious leader. These, ev these events are predicted in Revelations 13 as we've now come to Revelations chapter 13 in our study of the book of Revelation. And the first half of the chapter reveals Satan's Antichrist, the coming world dictator. The second half of this chapter that we're going to talk about tonight tells us of the coming of the one who will unite the world under one religion. He's called the beast out of the earth. And for the sake of clarity, we need to identify him as the false prophet. So in my understanding of Scripture, the first beef, beast is the Antichrist, and the second beast is the false prophet. For identification purposes, we probably need to, to understand it that way. There's the dragon, there's the Antichrist, and there's the false prophet. The dragon being the devil himself. And, and the beast, or the Antichrist, being the devil incarnate. And then the false prophet. This is why he's referred to in Revelation 16, 13, and Revelations 19, 20, and Revelations 20 and verse 10. For sake of time, I'm not going to go to all of those verses. You might want to jot them down in your notes. 16, 13, 19, 20, and 20, verse 10 that he'll be the minister of propaganda and half-truths in this one-world government. You might say it like this, this. He, he's going to be the PR man for the devil's Messiah and cause the entire world, the devil's Messiah, meaning the Antichrist, and he's, this false prophet is going to cause the entire world to fall down and worship his Lord, who is the devil himself. Now, in your outline, we've got four reasons why the false prophet will be able to accomplish something no one else in history has ever been able to accomplish. Number one is the manifestation of the beast. And we pick up verse 11 in our text tonight. Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. Notice it says, I saw another beast. I sense some of you are like, when I said two beasts, you're like, what? I, don't, I hadn't heard that before. So I wanted to clarify that. 
Our first verse of our text says, I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. We were introduced to the beast out of the sea, and now we're introduced to the beast out of the earth. He's called another beast in this verse. That word another means, here's what that word another means in the, in the definition of that word in the Bible in this verse. It means another of the same kind. These two beasts, you might say, and the way I used to say things like this would be two peas in the same pod. You ever heard that statement? That dated me, didn't it? Both are the devil's puppets. Like the first beast, the beast is also given a strange description. We, we looked intently at the f- description of the, of the first beast last week, the Antichrist. And uh, this, this beast is given a strange description. He's described both as a lamb and a dragon. He's described as a lamb to represent his meekness. At first, he'll, at first he's going to be soft-spoken, a smooth-talking operator. He'll be gentle, he'll be gracious, appealing to the masses. But we're told he has horns, and we know that a lamb has no horns. Horns in the scripture represent power and authority. So as a lamb, we seek his, as a lamb, we will see his meekness, and by his horns, we will see his might or his power and his authority. And then it says that he speaks like a dragon. He's malicious and violent in his actions. As a bully, he'll insist that all worship his master, the devil, and he'll kill those who refuse to do so. So the beast will be as meek as a lamb and as malicious as a dragon. Secondly, we're going to talk about the might of the beast, and we go to verse 12. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, And it required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He has the same power, the same authority as the first beast. If you remember last week that we saw in the first, the first, the Antichrist, how he um, resurrected and and we, we don't understand everything about it, but it would have appeared or seemed that he was dead and was raised to life and people bought into this. I'm gonna talk about that in a moment. How do we know if it's God or not? And um, just as the first beast gets his might and power from the devil, the second beast gets his might and power from the first beast. And this fact tells us of the kind of might that he uses, letter A, a deceptive might. He'll use his might and power to deceive the earth into worshiping the beast. We should know that Satan is not against religion. I I want to talk about this for a moment. It's very important. In light of Scripture, in light of what we see happening in our world today, and what's going on, that we are well-informed and students of God's Word to realize Satan is not against religion. He's, in fact, I would say it this way, Satan is in the religion business And he wants to pervert and divert religion until the only religion in the world revolves around worshiping him. We see the goal of the Antichrist in Daniel 11.36. I put it in your notes. The king will do as he pleases, exalting himself and claiming to be greater than every god. 
even blaspheming the God of gods. He will succeed, but only until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined will surely take place. So if you'll remember through our study in the last several weeks, we've learned that Satan has always wanted to be like God. He's always wanted to take God's place, to assume God's authority, to accept God's worship, to wear God's crown, to rule God's kingdom, to sit on God's throne. The false prophet is like the counterpart of the Holy Spirit. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ and to lead people to worship him. It's his job, it's this, the Holy Spirit's job to magnify Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself, but he points the attention. The Spirit, when you're saved and the Spirit of God dwells in you, the Spirit of God is leading you to who? To Jesus. As the centrality of our life and our walk and all of eternity and all that God has purposed in our lives, it's the Spirit's job to comfort, to teach us, to come alongside of us and keep, help us keep the emphasis on Jesus. And so, likewise, it's the job of the false prophet to get people to worship Satan and to magnify him and to exalt him above every other god. So just as there's an antichrist, let, let me say it this way, just as there's an antichrist, there's an anti-spirit. Satan is a master counterfeiter. Just as there's a holy trinity, there's also an unholy trinity. This unholy trinity is described in Revelation 16, 13. I'm going to jump ahead for one verse here and just read it to you. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. That's interesting to me. Just as there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there's the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Do you see it? The dragon, or Satan, is the counterfeit Father God. The beast is the counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist. And the false prophet is the counterfeit Holy Spirit. The dragon opposes God the Father. The beast opposes God the Son. When I say the beast, and I don't say first or second, when I say the beast, I'm saying the first beast or the Antichrist. So the dragon opposes God the Father, the Antichrist opposes God the Son, and the false prophet opposes God the Holy Spirit. Just as there's to be one world government led by the, the Antichrist, there's going to be one world religion that's going to be headed by the false prophet. So it's all satanic. Do you understand? If you don't understand anything about this and it's hard to separate it, it's all satanic. It's all devil-inspired. And the Antichrist wants to rule a one-world government, and the false prophet wants to rule a one-world religion. 
It may surprise you to know that there are many today promoting this concept and who would welcome this political and religious unity as the world's only hope. I don't think it's a stretch for me to say that there are many foundations being laid for this in our world right now. People are becoming deceived people who do not know God and his word and Jesus as their Messiah are becoming more convinced that the world's only hope is this uh, political and religious unity. Arnold Toynbee, a great historian, said this. It's kind of hard to get your brain around what I'm going to tell you, so just let me read it slowly. He says, living together as a single family, meaning the whole world, he's talking about this one world government and one world religion. Living together as a single family, meaning the whole world, is the only future mankind can have now that Western technology has simultaneously annihilated distance and invented the atomic bomb. It's a, it's a sad statement, isn't it? The worldly and demonic leaders of this world are right now being set up by the master deceiver to literally get people to accept this way of thinking. How could people accept this way of thinking? They don't know God. Jesus is not their Savior. They don't know the leading of the Holy Spirit. They are deceived. Letter B, I want to talk about a destructive might. And we go to verse 15. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Now, I want to admit to some of you that may not have been here for much or any of the teaching that this is a tough book to teach. I, uh, I really feel in, as you know, way over my head sometimes, and I am doing my best, and I'm willing and readily willing to admit that I may not have it all figured out. Let me tell you it this way. I don't have it all figured out. But... I am so thrilled. One of the greatest things happened to me two weeks ago after one of our lessons. Somebody came up and said, Pastor, the way you've been presenting the book of Revelation has caused me to want, want to dig into the Bible and study the Bible more. And I was like, yeah, did my job. Isn't that what we want? We all need to study. We all need to study the Word of God and know and own our faith in the Lord. So those who refuse to attend the devil's church, to practice the devil's religion, to study the devil's Bible, and to worship the devil as God, are going to pay for it with their lives. This life here on earth, this mortal body. There will be no place to run, no place to hide. It will all be done in the name of religion. And that should not surprise us. Jesus was crucified in the name of religion. Do you, do you all get that? Jesus was crucified in the name of religion. Paul persecuted the early church when he was Saul and had many Christians put to death in the name of religion. 
Millions of people throughout the centuries have been murdered in the name of religion. Religion ultimately kills. It's the Spirit of God that gives life. Religion is destructive. There's only one kind of religion in the Bible that is good. It's where the Bible talks about a pure religion. Not made of man, but, but of God. And so, religion ultimately kills. Let her see a defective might. We see in verse 15 that this false prophet will cause many to worship the devil, but not everyone. He'll once again be frustrated in his desire to be like God because one day God is going to cause everyone who has ever lived to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that there is coming a day when everyone who has ever lived is going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ? There's coming that day. Let me read to you Philippians 2, 5 through 11. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That includes the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. The devil and his hordes are powerful, but they're not all powerful. They're mighty, but they're not all mighty. Our Lord is God Almighty. The second beast gets his power from the first beast. The first beast gets his power from the dragon. But let me ask you a question. Who does the dragon, the devil, Satan himself, get his power from? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Where does Satan get his power from? Huh? Unbelievers? He gets it from God. The only power the devil has is the power that God allows him to have. If God didn't allow him to have any power, he wouldn't have any. Because our God is all-powerful. Let me talk, number three, the miracles of the beast. This is going to help understand what what we just said right there, because that can seem confusing to some of you possibly, but this will help. And we talk about the miracles of the beast. Verses 13 and 14 of our, of our text. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. This beast will be a master of miracles. He'll perform great signs and wonders. The carnal, unbelieving world 
will be mesmerized by the master, this master of miracles. He'll use his miraculous powers. This is, this is very important to know, that he'll use his miraculous powers to deceive the world into accepting his message and his master. Jesus warned about this very thing taking place in the last days. In Matthew 24, 4, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. Jesus warned that the last days would be a time of deception, and he went on to add in verse 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. That verse is, is a struggle for me. Pastor, do you believe in miracles? Absolutely. Do you believe we serve a God of miracles? Yes. You know what the greatest miracle that I have in my life is? Salvation. He saved me. If you're saved here tonight, it's the greatest miracle that God raised you up. I believe our God is a God of might and miracles. But here's something I want you to see, because you, you probably, if you're like me, we haven't been told this very much in our Christian learning in the Word of God. Not every so-called miracle is a divine miracle. Miracles can be duplicated and counterfeited, and Satan is an expert at doing both. In the Bible, as, as in my study of miracles, Here's what I found out about miracles in the Bible. A miracle is a confirmation and a validation of the power of the one who performs the miracle. The Bible says in John that Jesus performed miracles, which John called signs to confirm his power. Let me read to you John 2.11. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. But the devil also performs miracles to confirm his power. The only thing a miracle can do is simply confirm the power of the one who performs it. Therefore, here's what I would say. A miracle could be one of two things. It can be a witness or it can be a warning. It can be a witness to divine power, to God's power, or it can be a warning of demonic power. So how can we tell the difference in whether or not a miracle is divine or demonic? I mean, isn't that the question that jumps into our mind right away? How do we know if it's God or the devil? How do we know if it's God or it's demonic? So here's, the Bible helps us understand this. It's right there in the word of God. The difference is in the message of the one who performs the miracle. Let me read it to you. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 13, starting at verse one, suppose there are prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles. And the predicted signs or miracles occur. If they then say, here, here we go, 
come, let us worship other gods, gods you have not known before, do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and soul. God makes it very plain here, doesn't he? That the test of a true prophet is not in his miracles. I want to say that again. The test of a true prophet of God is not in his miracles. He then goes on to tell how to test the true prophet. Verse 4 says in Deuteronomy 13, Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice, and cling to him. Man, there is a tremendous lesson to be learned right here. We do not build our faith on a miracle. You don't build your faith on a miracle. Miracles don't give you more faith. What's the Bible say? Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the the word of God. We build our faith on a message and the message has to be the word of God. The test of a true prophet is not in the miracles they perform, but in the message they preach. I've I've witnessed in my lifetime many false prophets running around in the name, saying they're in the name of Jesus, desiring to only bring attention to themselves. working what they call so-called miracles, doing great signs and wonders to bring the attention not to the Lord, but to themselves. I've watched many immature believers get caught up in that mess. Now, here's, here's the thing. Do you remember a few weeks I told you ago that, yes, we believe in miracles. We need to be believing and trusting and receiving, asking and receiving for miracles in our lives. I love what a great man of God told me one time many years ago. Miracles, he said, are coming at me or past me every day. I, I, I believe that. I believe God's I believe there's many miracles happening in our lives that sometimes we don't even know. I believe there's things that God's doing and things that are happening and protection that's going on. We don't even see it sometimes because we don't always are living in the spirit like we need to. There are spiritual things happening right now in this room and there are spiritual beings in this room right now. See, you all came and you brought your flesh with you. And I'm glad you did, because it'd be spooky if you only came in your spirit. You, you came and your flesh came with you. But how many know we are a spirit with a soul that lives in a body? Your body is the least important part of you. You are first and foremost a spirit, and you can only know God in spirit and in truth. You can't know God in your soulish realm. 
You, you can't know God in your flesh. Paul says, I buffet my flesh. I have to renew my mind. And when God saves you, what does he, what is sanctified immediately? It's your spirit is made alive to a relationship with God. Immediately sanctified, set apart for God's purpose. But your soul is in process. And your flesh is never going to get there. That's why you're going to get a new body. So Paul says, until that time comes, we got to keep it buffeted, right? Keep it under subjection. Don't let it have its way. And we live. And sometimes we pay more attention to our body than our spirit man and our soul, our will, our mind, and our emotions. And people sometimes that get so caught up in their flesh or in their emotions. See, that's why I always like to say this once in a while around here. Emotions can be wonderful. God gave us emotions. Thank God for good ones when they, when they come. But how many know we should never allow our lives to be led by emotions? We're to be led by the Spirit of God. Our emotions will mess us up. Our emotions, you can't trust them all the time, can you? How many times I'm trying to change my, I've got, does anybody have bad habits with the way you talk sometimes? I'll tell you one of mine. I'll say, well, I feel like, and then I'm like, well, I'm not supposed to allow my life to be led by my feelings. What is the Holy Spirit saying? How is the Holy Spirit, as I take time and pause and pull back and pray and seek the Lord, what's the Holy Spirit wanting to do? How is he leading me? Sometimes I say, well, I feel like, hey, if I say that to you, be nice to me, but say, Pastor, you're not supposed to go by your feelings. Just remind me, because I'm trying to change that. And it's a, it's a habit. The beast will call fire down from heaven, the Bible says. He'll set the heavens ablaze. He'll make the sky burn red with fire. In this modern day, it could be done by an atomic explosion in the outer atmosphere that will rain fire down from heaven. Then he'll make an image to the beast. He'll be able to cause this inanimate object to actually breathe and to come alive. Notice he does not just make an image of the beast, but rather an image to the beast. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 24, 15. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Now Jesus calls this from the New King James Version and the New American Standard Bible and the English Standard Version, he, it is called the abomination of desolation. This image will be set up in the temple in Jerusalem. We've talked about that. Satan will desecrate the house of God and defile the worship of God by causing all to come and pay respect to this image. When John wrote about this, 
you, you have to understand, when John the Revelator is writing this nearly 2,000 years ago on the Isle of Patmos, and he is seeing visions of things that... Now, so, I'm going to do my best here. I'm going to do my very best to, to explain how I am trying to understand this. I believe that John was seeing things that in those days were not seen, were not known. But we, however, how many know technology has changed in the last hundred years? Can you imagine how much it's changed in the last 2,000 years? Can you imagine how much knowledge has increased so much? And John, God is giving John a vision, and he's writing, and he's trying to write things as he sees in this vision, and there aren't words. It's difficult to put it into words what he's probably seeing in vision. So, with the, with the, think about this. With the arrival of the television in the 20th century, we've been able to see images of people talking. Now, you've got to imagine, before TV, to think about that was way off the charts. And now we have so many other Devices at our fingertips. I mean, how many times in a day do you ask your phone a question? And your phone answers you. Right? Now, some of it, someone that's older than, I won't say. Can any of you imagine a time when you'd have thought, if I... If I'd have told you, somebody had told you 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, that there will come a time that that phone there that, at your house that you, <laughs> and you're going to talk to it and it's going to talk back. And what would you say to that person who told you that? You're crazy. You're out of your mind. Right? And here we are. I mean, our phones, I was talking with my brother-in-law one day out in Terry and Tim's back porch, and we were talking about guitars, and I was talking about Pastor Jeff, and we were, we were talking about some great guitar players, and I happened to bring up how much I enjoyed back in the day hearing Glenn Campbell play the guitar. So help me. Uh, a half hour later, whatever it was, I pulled up YouTube for something, and Glenn Campbell video popped up on my screen. I kid you not. Do you believe that? My phone is listening to me. I, 
I'll be talking to Kathy about something and an advertisement for what I was talking to her about pops up on my screen multiple times a day until I'm like, this is sickening. And I just, and I know I'm taking a little bit of maybe um, latitude here, but I think about in light of John's writing here in the Revelation, and I'm, I'm thinking, what was he seeing? What was he trying to help us understand? Let me read verse 15 that I didn't put in your outline. I skipped over a verse accidentally. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that everyone refusing to worship it must die. That's interesting to me in light of what we've just been talking about. All of a sudden, it's not much of a stretch, is it? Number four, the mark of the beast. Verse 16, he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. The word mark is synonymous with the word seal. So an emperor would take a signet ring, dip it in hot wax, and put his seal on a letter to authenticate its contents when he would send a traveler to take his letter with his seal on it, and it would authenticate it. It was the docu-sign of the day. The mark, the mark is the seal of the beast. Remember, the false prophet is the counterfeit counterpart of the Holy Spirit. Just as God's children are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that's what the Bible says, we're sealed by the Spirit, the devil's children will be branded by the beast. The devil's going to turn this world into one giant concentration camp. Everyone's going to have the mark or the name and the number of the beast. It will either be on the forehead or the right hand. It may not be necessarily visible. I thought that was so interesting. The last time I went to an amusement park before COVID, I, I had to leave and go to my car, and I had to go through this line where, where you could exit to come back, and they stamped my hand. And they stamped my hand, and I left, and I didn't see nothing. I'm like, well, that's weird. And now you guys, maybe I'm way out of date. You guys are maybe way up on this, but I'm, I'm like, I'm a little slow. I get there, but I, I show up late once in a while. And I come back through and through the line, and they have me stick out my hand, and, and it was under a light of something, and, and what they stamped, I could see it. You've all done this? I've never done that before. Huh? Ultraviolet light, black light, something. But, but here's, what it, here's what it caught me, because I study the Bible. I'm like, ooh. Wow. This is in the Bible. Fortunately, I worked real hard to try to find another black light the next day to see if that thing wore off, and it did, and I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> right? Through this mark, the beast, whatever this mark's going to be and however it's going to be, 
is going to control the commerce and the currency of the world. Verse 17, and no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either in the name of the beast or the number representing his name. This satanic society will be a cashless community. I thought about that. I thought, we are so rapidly moving to that right now. Currency and coins are fast becoming obsolete. I got to admit to you, I hardly, I hardly ever have any cash anymore. Is anybody else like, I mean, I always had a hundred dollar bill stuffed somewhere in my wallet for a rainy day because my dad taught me to always have some money stashed. I rarely have cash anymore. Um, more often than not, we use EFT, Electronic Funds Transfer System. Did you know that today, in our church, 45% of our contributions at Calvary Church are now happening without cash, coins, or checks. 45% of our giving is without checks, cash, or coin. And when I tell some people that, they're like, wow, you mean you still have 55% cash, coins, and checks? I'm surprised at that. I said, you are? I said, yeah. So I called a couple of pastor friends of mine out on the east and west coast. One of them said this, 100% electronic. One of them said, our church doesn't accept cash or checks anymore. I'm like, what? In Europe, the World Banking Association formulated an international monetary transfer system called SWIFT. I didn't know about that until we started trying to send money to India for Pastor Mohan and the ministry over there, and they asked me for my SWIFT code or number or something. This all happened in 1973. It started, otherwise known as the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Teller Communication. Thank God for SWIFT. I could never remember that. The purpose is to allow international business transactions to happen without the need of any cash or currency. And just in case we miss the connection this has with Bible prophecy, Paul Henry Spake, one of the first organizational leaders of SWIFT, said this. i got to give you this quote. Here's what he said. We do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of the people and to lift us out of the economic chaos into which we're sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or the devil, we'll receive him. There's coming a day when you're not going to have to worry about losing your credit cards. You might be a credit card. A world number is feasible in the near future, but it also possesses a problem because a person could be kidnapped or killed if they carried this number on them in the form of, say, a card. Because of this, there are many people in our world now advocating the insertion of a world number actually on or in someone's body. Technology allows an invisible mark to be put on us by a laser beam, invisible to the human eye, but visible under infrared light. 
And there's a day coming when if we're not marked, we will not be able to buy or sell according to this. If we're on the earth, we won't be able to buy or sell. The rule will be no seal, no sell. Verse 18, wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, I would say this. Many have tried to speculate on the meaning of this number. Theologically, we know that six is the number of man. We know that to be true. Man was created on the sixth day. He was told to work six days, but to rest on the seventh. Seven is the perfect number. Three is the divine number, the number of God. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It appears that three sixes is man trying to be God. Why would anyone take the mark? Some people will take the mark because they're convinced that this world would be better off under a one-world government and a one-world church, so-called church. So in a perverted fashion, their motto is, united we stand, divided we fall, and, and they're deceived. Others will take the mark because they're careless. There are many who will not care one way or the other what the mark means just as long as they can continue to buy and sell, eat, drink, and be merry. Others will receive the mark because they're cowards and not willing to stand against the beast and the world system. Pastor, where are we in America right now? Where are, where are we in the world? In my prayers in the last several weeks, I do believe this election coming up is an important one. And um, Christians need to know if we have godly people or people who are voting for godly morals and values, we probably shouldn't vote for them. See, here's, here's what I've been learning. Here's what I've been learning. 50% of so-called Christians stay home from the voting polls. That's a very sad stat for me. Because if God's people would come together, we could see God in this nation more at work. We push God out of things in our world, in our, in our country, in America, then we wonder where God is. Some of these people would rather go to hell with the majority than to be saved with the minority. So here we are again, and some of you are thinking, well, I'm a pre-trib, or you're a post-trib, or you're a mid-trib, or where are you, and pastor, I ain't gonna worry about it, I'm not gonna be here. And again, you all know my heart on this. I think it can be very arrogant to think that we have this all figured out. And I don't want to, if the Lord would tarry, and I would die and, and be in the presence of the Lord, I don't want to leave my children and grandchildren here. Me only sharing this one possible way in my eschatology. 
and miss it. Because you all know, I've been raised pre-trib my whole life. And I'm not that no more. But do I have it all figured out? Am I 100% sure? No. Remember, here's what's important. Jesus is coming back. And persecution to the saints of God has been happening since the church came on the scene. There has been persecution. And to think that we would be void of all persecution because if we have enough faith, we don't have to go through persecution. That kind of teaching has only worked in America. It don't work anywhere else in the world. And look at what's coming to our shores. I praise God for a republic in America, but do you realize that there are people trying to tear down the republic? Turn us into a democracy. There's nowhere in the Constitution where democracy is talked about. You know, a democracy, in the wild, wild west days, it's when 35 guys form a posse and go out and find the guy they want to hang, and they vote, and 35 to 1, and the 35 wins, and they hang the guy. Republic, here's what's different. The sheriff shows up, said, boys, you can't hang him. We're going to tie him up and take him back to town, and we're going to give him a fair trial. And there's going to be representation amongst his peers. And there's going to be rule of law. And by the way, it won't be a democracy if he hangs. Everyone on the jury has to agree that he's guilty or he goes free. A republic is a rule of law. And it's representation. A representation of many people, not of one group. And this is why, this is why America is coming after our kids like they are and our young people. Because their minds are not developed to truth. They've not, they're not, in, in traditional education in today's world, they're not being taught critical thinking skills. They're not being told and shared and taught how to think. They're being told what to think. They're being enslaved. And this is why this is why I don't know where America is in these last days. I believe what we're right now on the cusp of America having a turnaround. And believe me, I'm always hopeful. I'm believing for a turnaround in America. And um, I'm trusting the Lord for that. But we know that before Jesus returns, the second coming perilous times will come. We know it. And my thing is, as I close tonight, is we don't have to be afraid. You may be thinking right now, Pastor, this is a scary message tonight. I'll be glad when this one's over. This one's a scary one. But I would say this, 
this is not scary or frightening what we've heard if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. If we love the one who is perfect and who loves us with a perfect love, then we know that perfect love casts out all fear. That even if we go through a moment or a time of persecution, we are going to be forever with the Lord. We're going to rule and reign with him in eternity. And we have a choice. We can love the lamb and be sealed by his spirit or submit to Satan and be branded by the beast. I close with this. Before my dad died, years ago, somebody asked my dad, Clayton, how long is eternity? And um, my dad said this. He said, I, I can't quite get my brain around eternity because everything I know is finite and we serve an infinite God. But my dad said this, because we're going we're gonna to be forever be with the Lord and the moment we die in this body, we are no longer in this thing called time. It's hard to imagine. What is music going to be like, Pastor Jeff, when there's not time like we know it? It's going to be different. It's hard for me to think about not having one. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't understand it. But Dad said this. He said, here's the best way I can describe eternity to you. If a little bird, a robin, took a beak full of dirt on the earth and took a beak full of dirt and flew it all the way to the moon and dropped it off and flew back to the earth and picked up another beak full of dirt and flew it all the way to the moon and dropped it off and came back. By the time that robin got all of the earth on the moon, that would be the beginning of eternity. And Jesus has put eternity in our hearts. Let us not be afraid. He's an awesome God. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness to us, Lord. May this study of the book of Revelation Chapter 1 says we're blessed to read it, we're blessed to study it. And we thank you for the opportunity we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Dismiss. God bless you all.